the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Broadcasting from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in Martinsburg. And it is Panhandle Live for this 21st day of November 2023. It is Luke Wiggs and Clint Gage broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building here in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Panhandle Live is driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto. We'll tell you a little bit more about them as the broadcast rolls on. Second day in the chair for Clint. Uh, still hanging in there? I'm still here. <laughs> Just can't get rid of them, folks. Just can't seem to get rid of them. Well, we've got a, vis- a busy show to get to today, and we'll go ahead and uh, lead off the show with our first guest as U.S. Senator Joe Manchin joins us. Sir, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning. And congratulations to, you, uh, to both of you. Luke and Clint, uh, great to be with you. Absolutely. Uh, well, Senator, I do want to ask you this. Of course, um, deer season, the first day of deer season was uh, yesterday across the country. Are you much of a hunter? I, I have enjoyed it in many, many years. This year I was unable. I'm with the family. We uh, haven't gotten together for a couple weeks or a couple years. We had a chance to spend a little bit of time this week together, so I'm kind of with them. Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, Senator, of course, uh, I wanted to start by, by talking to you. Of course, you were in the news cycle a couple of weeks ago uh, announcing your decision to not seek re-election to the Senate. Well, as the days have gone by and uh, you've kind of spent some time with that decision, do you still feel as though it's the correct decision? I sure do. I mean, I look back at it, and truly it's been an honor of my life uh, and my lifetime to have the ability and the opportunity to be able to serve the people that I was born and raised with and, and, and my uh, my beautiful state of West Virginia. It's just been wonderful in so many different capacities, and I just feel honored to be able to do that and have that opportunity. And hopefully I've done everything I possibly can to, to make them proud uh, and also to give us some opportunities to our state, which I've been working for for so long uh, in many, many capacities, you know, starting out for House of Delegates and then State Senate and then Secretary of State and Governor, and 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 now finishing up uh, the almost 14 years with the U.S. Senate. So it's been a tremendous honor, and uh, hopefully we've uh, we've uh, done a lot of things together. But the people give me the opportunity uh, to uh, truly uh, show the rest of the country how great our little state is and how much our little state has contributed to this great country of ours. Well, well, to be fair, Senator, uh, you're not done yet because I. I... <laughs> I've been, you know, listening to a lot of your interviews and you're making a lot of sense uh, when it comes to really trying to organize, you know, a, a, I believe you put it as the, the radical middle. Radical middle. And that's something. And that oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a shame. You know, all of us, both you two, both, you know, you try to live your life uh, successfully from the center left, center right in the middle. Right. Uh, that's where you have to, you know, you might be thinking something that sounds a little off, off the cuff and over too far one way or the other, but you usually come back to saying, yeah, it's not going to work. Well, I need to do this or that. You, you know, when I was when I was young, I remember when a bipartisan bill was considered a sign that it was a, a pretty good bill because neither side got exactly what they want, and there was compromise. Yeah. When did that become a dirty word in Washington? It's, I, it's, it's, it's not just the, the, the dirty word, but it's the business models. Once right. you figure out 
that, you know, it's uh, people are coming for the right reason. There's still so many wonderful, smart, good people that come here uh, with wide eyes, anticipation of, uh, of doing great things, and that they really give it all they have. But then the process of the business of a, being a Democrat or a Republican in Washington, it's the machine, it's the business machine that basically kind of controls. It's a duopoly that just basically kind of controls what you do or how you do it or tries to. And if you're a nonconformist like myself and you're more of a centrist, I, I always said if I can't go home and explain it, I'm not voting for it. Yeah. I don't care if the president of the United States calls me whoever. It makes no sense at all. And on the other hand, if it does make sense, I'm going to vote for it, And even if it's a Republican movement and idea. So I never looked at it and said, well, if Republicans do something because I've got a D by my name, I'm supposed to be against it. I'm looking for all the good, good things that we can do and all the help that I can receive to really perform, and, and that's the bottom line. So that has become, uh, when you have people voting 80, 90 percent with one party, the party system, right. it's just so wrong. You know, it's just so wrong, but it's what's expected now because you know why? They get rewarded for bad behavior. Hmm. You know, the more outrageous you become, and Donald Trump has elevated it to a level to where now it's the norm of being just outrageous and this uh, spewing this visceral hatred, talking about people. Things that if you did in school, they'd beat the living crap out of you every recess. Right. Well, and let me ask you this. What do we need to do to actually create a viable third party that's not just running, you know, every four years, but is actually building a coalition, putting senators in in, in office, putting yeah. Yeah. representatives in office? Well, first of all, what would be the root problem? Why are people voting and just basically sticking with and the, the uh, you know the old Democrat and Republicans that we came through before when I was being raised, I never looked at uh, anybody being my enemy. I was probably a Democrat because my grandfather was after the Great Depression and and, uh, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt kind of give him a chance and a and segue forward. And, and I think my grandfather been very grateful for that and just out of loyalty. But we never looked at that would control our lives or how we think or how we vote. So uh, with that, that's morphed into something now. As I said to business, how do you change it? Well, you have 435 uh, districts in the United States, congressional districts, right? Right. Out of the 435, probably 390 are already fixed. It doesn't matter as long as it's either going to be a Democrat district or Republican district, no matter who you put in there. Right. They have a D or an R by their name. That's not competitive at all. It does not create any, any type of uh, authentic thinking or changing or problem solving. They're just going to go along with the flow. So can you change that? Can you change how we basically draw our district lines rather than gerrymandering them and, and affixing the lines to the political will and wishes of the party? If you can't do that, change the primary system of how you elect open primaries. More people have an opportunity. You might have an outsider or a lone, you know, uh, uh, a, a, a real uh, uh, person who, who might be for real but doesn't have the money to uh, compete or anything, and they get a chance to be in the primary process, not going through the political system of the Democrat and Republican Party. And then I give you ranked choice voting. I never knew much about that. only thing I knew this past election two years ago that my dear friend Lisa Murkowski from Alaska would not have gotten elected if it hadn't been for that primary that gave a different way of calculating and having the best candidate be able to rise to the top, even though they might have been outgunned or out-positioned or out-moneyed right. and things of this sort. So you start looking at that. Can you shake it up? Can you change it? 
And then you got to get in a position to where, you know, that just common sense. How did Joe Biden, who came into the office, and I've known President Biden, I've known Joe Biden for a long time, always been kind of centrist in the middle a little bit. He would always make a deal. He loved to make deals. He worked with Democrats and Republicans. And this, I said, this guy's going to be okay. As soon as he gets in there, he starts getting pushed clear far to the, to the most liberal left. And I told him, I said, you know, I said, Mr. President, I don't know. I said, you got the most liberal uh, administration I've ever seen. He said, well, Joe, they tell me it's, it's the most diverse. I says, we're not talking about diversity, sir. We're talking about way, way far left uh, liberal progressive movements. But that's not where this country is. That's not where the mainstream and it's not where you basically run the country from. So I've been trying to check and balance that for quite some time, but you know you got extremes. And right now, if you look at both party systems, they pretty much made their decisions on what they're going to do and how they're going to present their business plan. And right now, you get sixty percent and more than sixty percent on both sides are not really in, uh, all that infatuated with the choices that the business models want to give them. Right. Well, and how much? Let me ask you this: How much of this problem is our fault? The media, because we almost cover we almost cover politics uh, like sports, and it drives oh, me yeah. crazy. H- how much well, of sure. this? How much of this is our fault too? Well, I think that basically it's become a business model for you all. Too. <laughs> right, right. You know, people. You know, what's what's the old the old thing? Basically, the, the newspapers just be if it bleeds, it reads. Right. Follow the money. It's sensational. Yeah, it's sensational right now and. You got good good ratings and everything, and the more sensation you are, people say, "I want to hear and see what uh, what Clinton Kurt, uh, you know, what you guys are saying." Right, and, and they get them all fired up. So if you have that and you have a reputation for that, you're going to say, "Well, my range will be better than everybody else's." So I know people are going to listen to what we have to say. And and Luke, you, you and Clinton basically, if you know, if you're saying, "Hey guys, this doesn't make any sense at all," I mean, if they're starting to say, "Well, if you want to get the the accurate." facts and, and, and this and that, you better, you better listen to YouTube, what you're saying. Well, I, t- I got to be honest with you. I tell people, I said, you know, the people that I've found to be the most nonpartisan is NPR and PBS, right. National Public Radio and Public uh, Broadcasting, okay? And if I'm looking for world news to get a kind of an accurate feeling uh, in America, I look at BBC. It gives me a pretty accurate look of what's going on in the world, and then I kind of match it up to what I know and intel and all the communities I serve on to find out who's in sync. So when I get the one I feel is in sync, that's the one I'd recommend people get to. But the local news, if, you know, you guys have always been. You can't be radical. There, People aren't going to listen to you. So it's not that. It's the national channels. It's the best, the cable system. You've got five uh, platforms that people uh, get their news from. And, you know, how many people really get their news uh, like I did growing up uh, with the three cable systems, I mean, three uh, national uh, networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC. That doesn't happen anymore. Well, so, and, and news used to be a lot more localized than it is now. Oh, my. Yeah. My, absolutely, yeah. So I'm just saying, yeah, it's, we're all responsible, but the bottom line is if what, and now I'll be honest with you, someone asked me what I'm more concerned about, how about AI coming in, artificial intelligence? Right. And you have that to where you can almost make anything look realistic and look like the person is really saying what the person isn't even saying. Or the person looks like that person did this when that person wasn't even part of it, you know, the real person. So it's so much can be done there. We're watching it very carefully, and hopefully we don't make the mistakes with AI in our government that we made allowing the Internet to come in unfiltered. 
Well, uh, Senator Manchin, you're spending uh, significant time, as you'd mentioned earlier, going around the country and, and kind of taking the temperature of the American middle. You know, you're yourself a, a bastion of uh, kind of that middle ground of politics, being a Democrat, being able to win consistently in a crimson red state. You know, as you take the temperature of the American middle, do you feel as though there is enough momentum for, you know, an emergence of a third party or a, a return to kind of a common sense, as you've talked about before? Yeah, there's more. There's more of an interest today than I've ever seen. I've always heard. I've talked to people. I'm glad you did this, or I'm glad you did that. But you know, that was a thing. You expect. You expect people. Most people in in positions of authority that we have a representative form of democracy that you put us there to represent you to do the right thing, not to do outrageous things, not to say crazy stuff. And uh, so you don't really get excited when they do the right thing because that's what they, they were sent there to do. Today it's 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 the anomaly anymore. It's not the it's not the uh, uh, preferred choice, if you will. So uh, when I go around talking to people, they they say I'm more concerned than I've ever been, and I tell people that I'm more concerned for my country than I've ever been. And I say that because we're accepting the outrageous to be the norm of today. That's not how you run the superpower of the world. That's not how we became the superpower of the world, and basically the hope and beacon of the world. For freedom, democracy, uh, you know, things that we hold near and dear and the values that we have. So when they see us out of sync, when they see us basically uh, having a national debt that could cripple anybody and it could cripple individuals, my grandfather would say, if you have unmanaged debt, it'll lead you to make cowardly decisions. We have $33.7 trillion of debt right now. And if we don't do something immediately, Within the next 10 years, just the interest that we pay on the debt will be greater than everything else we do, whether it's Social Security, Medicare, or defending our country, what we spend for those most uh, most needed uh, systems that we have as far as in our social services and also in defense of our country. So we're really concerned about that. No one talks about it. The border security, you know, crime in the streets. And even in rural areas such as West Virginia, you have the crime that people are concerned in their own communities. Education system, we're not number one in anything in the world. We become the superpower of the world because we educated people at a higher level and quicker and faster and better than any place in the world. We're not doing it anymore. So we have an awful lot to be concerned about. But on the bright side, we're the only ones that can correct our problems. We have a strong enough economy. We have a great enough of the military to defend us. And we have the ability to fix our problems. We just don't have the will to do it right now, and we're hoping to change that. So they're concerned. They are very much concerned, more so than I've ever seen them. And never before in our history have we ever been in a position where you have two candidates from two major parties that are not basically the overwhelming choices of their political parties. But they're, going to have, they're going to get them anyway. Absolutely. Uh, well, Senator, lastly, uh, before we let you go on a little bit of a happier note, uh, with the time remaining you're going to spend in the nation's capital, you're going to be uh, joined by a little taste of home. Uh, this year's Capitol Christmas tree coming out of uh, the oh. state of West Virginia. Well, let me tell you one thing. We've got two of them coming from our national forest. Oh, okay. Not Even better. the national Christmas tree, but the one at the White House. Somebody was posted, something happened to the one that was going to the White House. It didn't come through. And they came right back to West Virginia to do both of them. So we're lighting up the whole Christmas for the for the Capitol, if you will. Oh, that's fantastic! So <laughs> I'm I'm excited. I'm really excited about that. We had a good, uh, you know, a process that we had. And a young man from the Elkins area won the contest for uh, 
he's in that fourth uh, fourth grader, just unbelievable. So it's going to be a big process, and we have the Richwood Band coming to celebrate. And West Virginia will be well represented for the lighting of the Christmas trees and the start of the holiday season. Well, uh, our guest this morning has been U.S. Senator Joe Manchin. And, uh, Senator, uh, we really appreciate you giving us the time this morning. Well, Luke and Clint, I thank you all for allowing me to be on with you. I want to wish everyone a very, very, very happy Thanksgiving and a Merry Christmas. And I've always said this about the holiday seasons. And Thanksgiving really kicks off the most blessed of all seasons for all of us. And if you can count your blessings, you can share your blessings. There are people today right in your own backyard, right back in West Virginia, that really need some blessings that you could share with them. I think you would make the holiday for them. So please reach out to those less fortunate. Absolutely. And again, that was uh, U.S. Senator Joe Manchin. We've got a break to take. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment. This is Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM, Martinsburg, and WCST, Berkeley Springs. Scratch my back with lightning bolts. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, broadcasting live here from the Hoppy Kirchival Building. Hoppy standing by, top of the hour. We'll talk a little bit more about his show's rundown a little bit later on. If you missed any or part of today's show and our interview with uh, U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, uh, we're going to post this episode a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network uh, Spotify page. But it's Luke Wiggs and Clint Gage with you as we take a look through our news cycle. We've got some uh, street closures and uh, changes that we want to alert people of. Not really closures. It's just adjustments. Uh, Specifically, Wilson Street and Raleigh Street, uh, they're adding a stop sign. They want everybody to stop at that intersection. Um, The new stop sign has been placed on Wilson Street, and it's aimed at enhancing traffic safety and improving the flow of vehicles through the area. And to alert drivers of the new traffic pattern, they've put up a portable roadway alert sign and flags on the stop signs to get your attention, bright orange flags. Uh, and the whole idea is just to uh, to slow down and be a lot more lot safer on that street for pedestrians and for traffic itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they also stress that the police department's going to be out there enforcing the laws, so you should really be cautious and be prepared for this stop sign that you're not used to. Mm-hmm. So that, that's the big the big warning out there is just to get used to it because it's there. Uh, and unless you want to get a ticket, <laughs> make sure you stop. Uh, a couple of other things we want to hit in our news cycle. Uh, Johnson & Johnson is always uh, one of our Ask the Experts show. You could have heard the Green Monster one this morning hosted by Clint Gage, of course. Uh, they're going to air this week's episode, of course, on Thanksgiving. Uh, because of that, again, a little inside radio. It's pre-recorded. Uh, but Dale Waite from Johnson & Johnson ha- had an opportunity, if you're not going to be able to listen to this Thursday show, we'll play a portion of it for you here really quickly, uh, talking about this year's Toys for Tots and the upcoming comfort special uh, of uh, this uh, week's show of Johnson & Johnson. So Toys for Tots, is a, we've been doing this for ever since I've been here, so for many years, and we're a drop-off center. So if you can come to our office at 124 Reliance Road in Martinsburg, it's easy to get to. 8 to 4 every day from Monday through Friday, we're open, and we're a drop-off center, and we've already had them come pick the toys up three or four times already because mm-hmm. we filled up our boxes. Wow, so people are, are dropping them. We're even, you know, we'll even accept them on a service call, and we'll bring them back to the office if you're if you're calling us for service and have a toy and give it to one of our service technicians, I'll bring it back to the office. So, Clint, you talk about a, about a business that goes a little above and beyond in the community, and you can look no further than Johnson & Johnson. Oh, Johnson, they do a fantastic job of, uh, of being involved in the community. Uh, and it's really, you know, it, it's exciting to see because a lot of times businesses get focused on their business. They are focused on the community. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they care about their business as well, but they are also uh, very active in their communities that they serve. 
Certainly. Uh, another thing in the stack sheets is dropping their uh, price of gas for this holiday week. You said it started yesterday, correct? It's going to go through yes. Monday. You can purchase uh, unleaded 88 gasoline at uh, your participating sheet station for $1.99 gallon. Yeah, well, and it's not dropping all gases. It's just, just unleaded the unleaded 88. 88. So if your car doesn't take unleaded 88, this doesn't help you. <laughs> Um, also, Berkeley County government offices will be closed Thursday, of course, Thanksgiving, and they will remain closed on November 24th uh, for Lincoln's Day or Black Friday, if you're so inclined. Those are also the same days that the, the Berkeley County Solid Waste Authority is going to be closed. Right. So just a good rule of thumb, if you're planning on doing something uh, at some business for the holiday, Thursday and Friday, reach out in advance and make sure they're going to be open. <laughs> right. Or check their website. <laughs> Uh, we also want to play a clip from the Bo Berkeley County Board of Education meeting. Monday night's meeting, of course, uh, call, is covered by the Gage clan. Uh, the board <laughs> heard from Superintendent uh, Ron Stevens giving an update on bond projects and his meeting with state officials in Charleston. Here's what that sounded like. We made sure that every member remembered Berkeley County Schools, and we wanted to make sure that there was something that had to stay on the table so at the end of the presentations, they would look down and be reminded of Berkeley County Schools. So... Elaine Bobo had uh, coasters made up with, with our logo on the front, and we had a special message and had them all signed by students in elementary schools that are going to be affected by this. So that's uh, Superintendent Ron Stevens. And uh, an interesting note here at the end of the story, current enrollment in the system is about 20,000 students. Uh, in a few short years, 25% of the schools in Berkeley County will be over 100 years old. So, you know, infrastructure is something that needs to continually be updated. And we talked about this with Marsha. I mean, you're looking at four schools in Berkeley County specifically, and not to mention Washington and Jefferson in Jefferson County, uh, that are amongst the 15 most populated schools in the state. This area continues to grow. There's right. already been talk. Ironically, when I moved here just about a year and a half ago, the conversation had already been started about a fifth high school in Berkeley County. And that conversation has now shifted to a potential sixth high school school in Berkeley County, wow. one on each end of the county. Clint, you've been here a lot longer than I have. I mean, this is an area that's growing pretty rapidly, and we need to continue to educate our kids. Well, and it feels like, I mean, Spring Mills, it feels like they just just opened up. It's been a few years now, but it feels like it was yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it, it's it's growing fast. And one more thing we wanted to hit on, just a, obviously a, a PSA from our own Governor Jim Justice Saying, quote, as Thanksgiving approaches and travel ramps up, let's keep safety front and center on our roads. Don't forget, this is going to be one of the most heavily traveled weeks of the year uh, as you take those country roads across the great state of West Virginia. Be cognizant. Be careful. Yeah, well, they're, I mean, they're, they are expecting 55 million cars <sighs> on the roads this year because gas is cheaper and people are getting on the road and they're going to see family. Absolutely. We've got another break to take. When we return, our next guest will join us in studio as we continue the conversation on Panhandle Live here on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Spring. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live. Continuing the conversation here from the Hoppy Kirchival Building, WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. It is Luke Wiggs and Clint Gage hanging out with you on this Tuesday. If you missed any or part of today's show, our interview with U.S. Senator Joe Manchin, we're going to post it a little bit later on in our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. And Rebecca Knight is standing by with the Eastern West Virginia Community Foundation to, to kickstart this next conversation. But uh, Clint, two days in a row. I have gone in search of help from our coffee machine because I don't take as diligent notes as you. Yesterday, I went out there to make a copy, and we were out of paper. So I had to pivot, right, back, take a right. picture of it. Today, I, I've got about 90 seconds in between segments of the show. I go out there to make a copy of your notes, make sure we're on the same page, jam the copier. Jammed it up. 
I don't know what it is with me and copiers, but it's just uh, it's not working. What out. did you do? I, I just have the the, the magic touch. Uh, our next guest might know a thing or two about printers. Rebecca Knight, thank oh, yeah. you for coming. Oh yeah, in. absolutely, I do. Uh, yeah, hi, <laughs> hi, good morning. Well, uh, let's start by just kind of talking about the the Eastern West Virginia Community Foundation. If I got that correct, yeah, yes. You know, for listeners that are hearing about it for the first time, let's. Uh, what what exactly is the the point of the foundation? Well, we. Um, I'm here to talk about our grant programs, but we also we have over 290 endowed funds um, that we use to help people create a legacy in the Eastern Panhandle. And um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in terms of the, the grants, are these going out to, to small businesses or things like um, that? No, we give grants to nonprofits, mm -hmm. government agencies uh, and schools. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, let's Cruise talk about like. some of those recently awarded grants, you know, to give people an example of, you know, what, what has been handed out uh, by the foundation over the last couple of months. Yeah. Yeah. We've been we've been busy. It's a very good problem to have. This past summer um, was our second time giving away uh, grants from the Detlev and Mary Ellen Preisler Fund for the arts, music, design and nature. Bit of a mouthful, but it's one of my favorites. Um we, well, what does that entail? <laughs> um, a lot, a lot. That one, um, that one is really fun, though. Um, it's a donor advised fund, meaning it was established by um, one specific woman, Mary Ellen Preisler, in, in memory of her husband Detlev, um, who was from Harper's Ferry. He loved the area and wow. he loved the arts. He was a designer. Um, so yeah, she established the fund for him, and then. Um, she didn't really know about the organizations in the area that would be sort of doing that sort of work. So we created a request for proposal, had a bunch of applications. I don't even remember how many applications we got this year. I think um, our um, like we had one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to give away. And I think the total ask was like three hundred thousand. <laughs> so some decisions had to be, be right. made. But she is because it's a donor advised fund. She's directly involved with picking who gets what. Nice. Um, she actually comes to our office and goes through them with us and we pick them out. And yeah, that one's a really excited, uh, exciting one because we've never had it's our first fund that's specifically for the arts right like we um with our youth grants and education grants there would be certain projects that were obviously very um arts oriented but it was never specifically intended for that whereas this one definitely is so um organizations like um black box and shepherdstown black cat music cooperative they're they're getting grants that are specifically for those programs right which right. is really exciting yeah that's excellent yeah yeah it's one of our biggest ones too i think grants um from that one go up to ten thousand dollars or at least they have in the past two years when we've done right. them yeah and then let's see <laughs> we've had so many again it's a good problem to have um the it's not really the most recent one, you, but you might say you're thankful. Yes, yes, I'm for that thankful. kind of problem. Yeah, re I really am. I really am. It's exciting work. Um, and then another one we did back in the fall was our education and mini grants program, which went to um, teachers across Berkeley, Jefferson, and Morgan County. We did eighty-five thousand dollars in grants towards um, the education grants were. Um, bigger ones. They were up to $2,000 uh, for sort of collaborative projects, big school-wide projects. Um, and then the mini grants go up to $500. The teachers always surprise us with what they can do with um, really a small amount of money. I mean, it, they, they know how to make it <laughs> make a difference it's right. really exciting to how, to, see. how to stretch yeah their oh, yeah. resources right? oh yeah exactly exactly but and uh, now um, let me know if, if i've got this <laughs> right it was 129 grants were awarded to yes. educators at 47 yeah. schools mm -hmm. across the eastern panhandle 94 mini grants totaling nearly thirty-five thousand dollars, were given to individual teachers yes 35 education grants totaling just under fifty thousand, 
uh, helped fund collaborative effort and major school projects. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> well, and can you tell me about the, uh, I, I, I'm curious because my uh, grandmother's maiden name is Fisher. And oh, it's spelled yeah, this way, yeah. which is a rare spelling. Yeah. <laughs> Frank C. Fisher Veterans Fund. Yes. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a new one. We um we didn't uh for no, for our normal grant cycles um we will I will create an application and um try to reach out to as many organizations as I can to get them to apply. But for this one, actually, we decided since it's so new and we're kind of not as familiar with what um, certain organizations are working with um, veterans, we actually in our newsletter a few weeks ago. Um, we sort of opened up the field for people to nominate different organizations right. for receiving a grant. And I think we heard back from people about 26 different organizations that we didn't even know they were doing work with veterans. Um, a lot of um, animal welfare groups, we were surprised to nice. learn. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, well, we're doing that a makes perfect yeah, sense, yeah, especially absolutely. with PTSD. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, um, I'm always trying, when we have a grant cycle, I always try to send out mass emails to reach out to as many people as possible. And I never would have thought to include animal welfare um, programs um, right. in this uh, sort of. Uh, well, I would think in this kind of work, it's there's a lot of thinking outside the box. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of trying to um, reach out to people as much as possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of leads me to ask you personally. I mean, what got you involved with the foundation specifically? I mean, what, uh, what drew you to it? I mean, a Facebook post. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They That's were looking fair, for. Yeah. I mean, they were looking for an administrative assistant slash office manager, and now I'm that, and I'm also the grants manager. Um, yeah, and it was just the description. It just sounded like um, a really exciting place to be in terms of. I, I love the work I do in terms of grants management and being able to actually go into the schools and hand people their checks and see how excited they are. I don't get the chance to do that as often, but it, when I do, it's really, really exciting. Well, and these aren't the type of grants that are like life changing, but these are the kind of grants that they're almost, they're kind of perfect because yeah. what they, what they end up doing is they also, they tell people that they're seen. Yeah, exactly. And that exactly. what the work that they're yeah. doing is important. Yeah. Which I, I, I think makes this kind of grant so important because it impacts so many different yeah. people. One of my favorite ones was a Priceler one, actually, that I got to, um, I went directly to, I think it was Valley View Elementary School, um, and I was able to hand it to the teacher, and it was for her, she called it her Drums Alive program because <laughs> she's a music teacher, and um, she just told me about how, you know, you can have kids who, um can be a little wild, but they start playing the drums and they're paying attention. They know what they're doing and they're having, they're engaged. And it was, it was just so nice to hear really heartwarming. I love right. it when, um, well, I mean, how many, think about how many lives that impacts. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, it, it tells the teacher she's seen yeah, and that the absolutely. work she does is important. Oh yeah. Oh, but yeah. then all of the kids that she impacts, it's just, it's like this oh, is yeah. spreading virus of goodness. Yeah. And it's so nice to hear too, um, how many of them say like, oh, we'll be able to have whatever supplies we're buying with this. We're, we'll be able to use them for years to come. Oh, that's, that's always wow. really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, uh, two sides of the same coin then, I guess, for people that are interested in learning about the foundation for the first time. For those interested in, in giving, how can they do that? And for those that are interested in maybe there's a grant that's out there for them, how can they get in touch? Yeah, I mean, um, if you're interested in giving, we're, we're always welcoming that. <laughs> um, you can go on our website, ewvcf.org slash donate. You can do it online um, or you can. There are so many different ways of giving. We received a house last year in someone's will. So that was, that was complicated. So, but, what, yeah, what happened with the yeah, house? Yeah. Um, we had to, you know, we had to go through the process of selling it and right. then we, yeah yeah that was that was exciting i wasn't as involved with that one thankfully um you just got a call out of nowhere hey yeah. we got a see, house now. see that one was exciting because she wasn't that involved and wasn't <laughs> didn't have to deal with it too much exactly um but we still we take checks we get we i love uh getting those in the mail um we take gifts of stock we we take so many so many different gifts and then um in terms of people who want to receive a grant I would say subscribe to our newsletter, definitely. Mm. Uh, follow us on Facebook so that you know. We always have, we try to be as consistent as possible with when our grant cycles take place. Um, like our next one is going to start at the beginning of next year. And it's our, we call it the winter spring grants because it's easier than saying the healthcare, human welfare, senior care, mm. <laughs> animal welfare. It's mm. its a lot of different No acronym really works one. with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's exciting doing um, all those different ones and seeing um, all the different programs and what they do in our area. Yeah, yeah. All right, very good. <laughs> Anything else you want our listeners to know uh, before we let you go? I mean, yeah, just visit our website, ewvcf.org, if you want to learn more. Perfect. Well, our <laughs> guest this morning has been Rebecca Knight from the Eastern West Virginia Community Foundation. Uh, keep up the great work, and Thank we really you. appreciate yeah. you giving us the time Thank this morning. Thank you for having me. Thank we've got, you so uh, uh, we got another break to take. When we return, we'll wrap up the show for this Tuesday edition of Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Final segment of Panhandle Live this Tuesday edition. Luke Wiggs and Clint Gage with you. We will be with you tomorrow as well, but we're going to have some previously enjoyed segments of Panhandle Live uh, coming up on Thanksgiving. And on Friday as well, we're going to replay our conversation at the Stubblefield Institute put on at the store ballroom at Shepherd about hate, uh, excuse me, hate speech. Uh, we're going to play that on Friday morning in this Panhandle Live uh, time slot. But again, uh, Luke and Clint with you here. If you missed any or part of today's show, I thought a really interesting conversation, you know, to have with uh, Senator Joe Manchin in a state that, you know, kind of moves further and further to the right. We've talked a couple of times about, you know, the Mooney McKinley election, about how Mooney was maybe a more popular choice for the state of West Virginia, being a little bit further to the right uh, than David McKinley was. But the inverse of that is, you know, it's so interesting to see Joe Manchin successfully many times after the state had become so red, continue to get elected as a Democrat. And I think there's a lot of optimism amongst moderate Democrats and Republicans to find room in the middle. And I think it's an, an avenue that's uh, worth exploring at the very least. Uh, absolutely. I, you know, one of the things I, I, I find funny is that with the far left, mm -hmm. there was an anger directed at Joe Manchin because he didn't do everything they wanted him to do or he would get in the way. And now that he's going... They're mad that he's going. Absolutely. And it's like he's betrayed us again. And it's like, <laughs> guys, pick a lane. Either either you're mad at him because he's not doing what you want or, you know, you want to keep him around, which is it. Um, no, I thought he gave a lot of good answers uh, regarding uh, some of the issues that we are facing because we are. We have never been or it's been 
not in my lifetime have we been this uh, divided. Sure. Uh, and and it's it's concerning. Absolutely. And we would invite you to weigh in on the text line. If you caught a portion of uh, Senator Manchin's interview, your thoughts, you can let us know, 304-263-4321. And, of course, we appreciate the senator making time for us this, this morning. A couple of things we wanted to hit on as well in this final segment. We talked about it in our sports show. You just heard it in the sportscast as well. Uh, if you're interested in checking a little matinee basketball, the Shepherd women's basketball team is playing today at the Butcher Center against uh, Bowie State. That's going to uh, be at 1 o'clock. The men's team play at 3 um, not a bad reason to, to skip out on a couple of hours of work, get out of the office, see some college hoops, right? <laughs> well, of course. I say as somebody that's going to skip out of a couple hours of the office because I'm going to go watch some college hoops. <laughs> yeah, but but see, you can also, you you get to use that excuse that, well, it's part of my job. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm not... I'm not enjoying myself. I'm just, uh, you know, it's a grind. I'm going to have to Don't go. Don't twist my arm. Exactly. I mean, I guess, if I, if I have to. When, when is the boxing match between you and the printer? That's a good question. That is a fantastic question. Listen, I don't know what it is. I don't really interact with printers much on the day-to-day, usually about once a week. Two days in a row, I'm 0 for 2. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is you talked about my notes. Mm-hmm. I got my notes from the printer without a problem. <laughs> no issues at all. Me and the me and the printer will have personal. a meeting with the, we'll have a meeting with HR here after the show. How about <laughs> that? Um, let's see what else we want to talk about. We'll set Hoppy's uh, table in his lineup here in just a couple of moments. But I'm really interested to kind of preview tomorrow's episode, uh, Clint, because we have a couple of unique guests on. We'll start with our first local historian, Steve French. is always fun when he comes in uh, to talk to us about uh, various anniversaries and various points throughout history that have maybe been overlooked. This, what we're talking about tomorrow, is not necessarily a historical event that's overlooked, uh, but it's a one that uh, is celebrating its, not celebrating, yikes, uh, the 60th anniversary of the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy. I'm not going to make the mistake and ask you if you were alive for this one like Apollo 13, because I know the answer is no. Thank Um, you. Thank you. (laughs) But it's going to be a very interesting conversation. Yeah, it should be fascinating. Uh, And then uh, our second guest is a friend of mine that I've known for years, a little over a decade. Uh, James Gossard, he is a regional uh, filmmaker mm. and just finished a documentary called Divine Instinct. Uh, and it, it's it's a fascinating look at how uh, an artist's mind works. Mm. And it, it should be a lot of fun to talk to him. He's a, he's a funny guy. You know, we've we've talked a couple of times about the, the various ways that you've been featured in products on the, the station. Ask the experts with the, the news as well. But people may remember that we brought you on Panhandle Live a couple of weeks ago to talk about a documentary right. of your own. Um, in the, the weeks that that has been released, have you gotten, uh, and this was about the, the Charlestown racetrack, for those that don't remember, um, have you gotten a pretty good response? Is there, a great response. Are there still um, opportunities for people to see it? Uh, well, yes, and uh, it's it's aired on PBS a number of times, uh, and I don't, it's, it's run enough times that I don't know all the times it's aired. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's aired at least six times, I believe. Uh, and it will continue to air because they, they specifically asked me to make an edit that would... Uh, make it a little more timely, timeless so that they could air it for a while. Uh, and I do know that um, uh, folks who work with the, uh, uh, the track have really enjoyed it. And I've gotten some wonderful feedback from, from folks who, uh, I, one, one lady uh, was, was brought to tears at the documentary in a sweet way not not, oh my god this is so bad (laughs) well have you already kind of started the wheels turning on what your next major project's going to be uh the next major pro well right now i mean i'm still working i work on uh we have two television shows Mm -hmm. uh culinary concerts and uh the second one is uh history bites 
and we are working on securing season two of Culinary Concerts and season one of History Bites. We've already filmed the pilot. You know, I think I asked you this when we had you on Panhandle Live already, but obviously a, a documentary is a long time consuming process. You know, when do you finally settle on an idea to pick a topic? I mean, are there eight or nine ideas that are floating around in your head and you finally think this would be the one that I want to, to put the next several months of my life into putting into a finished product? Uh, well, yeah, what it really boils down to is you think about it. And um, if you feel like the idea is going to carry you and you know that it's going to take a couple of months. Is, is there a disconnect between what you find interesting and what you think would be interesting to an audience? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I have to be really cautious about that because a lot of times one of my issues is that I find everything fascinating. Right. Uh, and I find everybody interesting. The problem is, is that doesn't always translate for a general audience because some of the things I might find interesting, it might be because I fixated on it in a conversation with someone who explained to me why it was so interesting and I got hooked <laughs> and you have to be real careful to make sure that you're not playing to an audience of one. Sure. Uh, that you have to really consider well, what are other people going to find interesting. And I have, uh, you know, I'm surrounded by uh, some good folks who uh, give me feedback early on and they'll tell me, uh, what are you doing here? <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they I, I, I want genuine, honest reactions. So, yeah, that happens. And when it does, you have to be... Uh, you have to be open to the criticism and really think about it. Sometimes they're wrong, but usually they're right. That's fascinating. That's really interesting. And, and as you mentioned, we're going to be talking to a local filmmaker tomorrow along with uh, uh, local historian and author Steve French. I do also want to mention uh, the upcoming lineup for Hoppy Kerchival. Steve Allen Adams, uh, West Virginia State reporter for Ogden Newspapers to lead off the show. Going to talk to Jonathan Savage as well from Fox News, the, the London Bureau. Always a really interesting conversation with him. Uh, Jeff Jenkins, uh, continuing problems on Charleston's west side from the natural gas outage of uh, that major water leak that happened a couple of days ago. Uh, Jeff's going to be talking about that. Brad McElhaney will also be uh, stopping by. Chris Steyerwald is always a fascinating interview of News Nation. Another appearance from Tony Caridi. And uh, more to come coming up here in just a couple of moments uh, with Metro News' Hoppy Kirchville. Not to mention, by the way, uh, Clint, and uh, from what I understand, you're, you're sticking around for the next couple of hours because the WEPM Thanksgiving dinner is going to be happening here. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're not getting rid of me. Uh, food is coming in two hours. I am here. Not a bad way to spend some time at work at Tuesday before you take in a little matinee basketball, at least for me. This is going to be a, a good day and maybe not necessarily the most productive day. But for Clint Gage, I have been Luke Wiggs. We're going to post this episode on our Spotify coming up in just a little bit, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Dressing like the Rolling Stones. Hey, ho, let's go get some more like young Ramones. Some nights feel like every night. This one feels brand new. Only got bad things on my mind. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media.